Alley Cat. Is that a, a David Lynch thing? Oh, you just sounded like him. <laughs> Oregon. <laughs> um. Wanna jump in? Hi, Elbo. Hi, Nickel. Hi. Hello. What's going on? Not a whole lot. You excited to hear my story this week? I am. I'm so excited that this week I just get to sit back and listen to a story instead of tell one. I cannot so. wait to tell you the story, so um, Good. buckle up. Then I, I won't interrupt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good luck. Mm. Um, do you have any updates for me this week? This um, week, anything going on? There are some updates in the ongoing Lizzie McGuire saga. Mm. I won't say too much because I could easily do probably a half hour on everything I learned, but there's a great article in Elle magazine by Savannah Walsh and Erica Hardwood, and it's a, a comprehensive synopsis and recap of all the craziness that's been going on the last few months between... Uh, the creator the creator of the show, Terry Minsky and Hilary Duff, they're mm. sort of on one side and Disney Plus is on the other and it's a continuing ongoing saga, as I said. It was a really good read. So if if you're interested in learning more, that was a, a great place to find out everything you you need to know. Yeah. Cool. Other than that, um yeah, Liverpool won yesterday, beat Leeds United. Uh, feeling the Premier like I, League is back. The Prem is back in action, babe. <laughs> and yeah, feeling super good about just getting a kickback and listen to a story because you've been buried in your notebook for the last week or so. I know. And feels feels thoroughly researched, so I can't I'm really wait. excited yeah. to hear what it is finally. What you got? All right, let's get into this. Uh... This week we're talking about the murders and standoff at Ruby Ridge. And... That rings a bell. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty... It was like a pretty pivotal moment um, in the 1990s. Uh, early 1990s is when it took place, but really sort of... Um, it's happening like echoed kind of throughout that decade in in the uh at, on capitol hill and kind of throughout the certainly political realms of the u.s at that point legislation and whatnot yeah i think so um and certainly had a reverberating impact on uh politics as we know it today it's uh, a case that's still referenced and brought up in um, discussions around like firearms regulations. Right, that's, and... that's sort of my limited understanding of it, I think. So this, so this event basically takes place between the federal government and uh, the Weaver family and their good friend, Kevin Harris. So it's... Uh, the federal government and specifically FBI officials in the Department of Justice versus a family of seven 
and essentially three adults and four children on the under the age of 16. Sounds like a fair fight. <laughs> yes. And uh, the primary sources for my research and what I'm going to talk about today are um, Ruby Ridge documentary, American Standoff, which was published by the New York Times in 2015. Um, they call it a retro report on YouTube. It's like a quick, I think it was like a 15 minute documentary style. Hmm. Um, it's very recent. Yeah. And then also the American Experience, Ruby Ridge, which was a series on PBS, uh, the American Experience was, and then this Ruby Ridge, I think, was two or three parts, um, and that, I think, I think that came out in 2017, so also oh. relatively recently, um, recent interviews with Sarah Weaver, who's the oldest Weaver child, um, hmm. and she was about 16 during the Ruby Ridge incident in 1992. I also used a Famous Trials website, it's just famous-trials.com, created by law professor Douglas O. Linder mm -hmm. and hosted by the University of Missouri, the web, the web host. And I read through a transcript of a 1995 interview with Randy Weaver on Larry King Live. There was a lot to take in, uh, a lot going on here. So I may have bitten off a bit more than I can chew. Because <laughs> okay. uh, it is there is a lot. So if I leave out details, two episodes worth. Of I June? apologize. Um, um, and please let me know. But I think I covered everything that is, you know, crucial to understanding this story. And I'm, I don't think it'll be two episodes. I'm gonna try to talk fast. Uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and keep up. So. A little background on the Weaver family. Randy Weaver, the patriarch of this family, is a former Green Beret who joined the U.S. Army in 1968 and was stationed at Fort Bragg in North Carolina. While on leave in 1970, visiting his home in Iowa, he started going steady with a woman named Vicki Jordison. A year later, in the autumn of 1971, Randy is honorably discharged from the army, and only a month after that, Randy and Vicky were married. That's a really brief stint in the army. It sounds like 68 to 71. 70. Well, 70, he was on leave, right? Yeah, 70, then... he's on leave, and then a year later, he gets discharged. Yeah, I mean, I was. I was going to say that's like Vietnam yep. potential, but it yep. sounds like he might not have even... I don't think he ever went to Vietnam, huh. um, and if he did, it was for a pretty short tour. Um, okay. There's really not a lot mentioned about his time in the army, like there's no um, real information about what he liked to do or what he was good at like if he was a sharpshooter or I mean I don't know maybe a green beret is a sharpshooter but 
think Green Berets um, are just their like special tactics and special ops unit of mm. the army. I think it's okay. like it's like the Navy SEALs are the special ops of the oh. Navy. Green Berets are sort of the oh, interesting. High, more higher trained, I think. Yeah. I don't know. I I I don't. Okay. about the military. I don't know anything. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we think. That's what we now think. <laughs> I think that's And let right. us know yeah, if that's know. correct or not, please. So Randy leaves the army, is discharged from the army, and marries Vicki Jordison. Mm. And for the next five years, the couple sort of makes their home. Um, they save money. They, you know, try to explore, I think, a little bit of who they are as people, you know, I think they're like 20-somethings at this point. And it's and like 70s, right? Early 70s? Yeah, 71. or something? Yep, or? yep. Okay. Um, and the, Vicky's working as a secretary for Sears. Randy is now working at the John Deere Tractor Factory. And uh, their main thing outside of work and each other, I guess, is pursuing a life uh, devoted to Christ and sort of understanding their religious and political beliefs. They're like on a journey okay. here. Alright. So nothing wrong with that so far. No. Uh, <laughs> nothing wrong with it, but again they're they're uh, just confused on where their religious beliefs lie um at their marriage so as early as their wedding day they have a latter-day saints minister and congressionalist pastor present um to sort of congressionalist yes i think it's first congressionalist um it's just a different church which are both pretty uh orthodox Christian churches. Yeah. So. Well, LDS is the Mormons, right? Yes. The, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, Sampling different flavors out there. Yeah. It sounds like. And I think they're just very engrossed in the afterlife. They're sort of okay. in a place of like, I don't know. They just don't agree with the way the world is. And so they turn to the church to make sense of it all. They turn to the Bible to make sense of it all anyways. Okay. They have, so they have a couple of kids by like the the mid to late 70s. Uh, like 76 and 78, I think, are when their two kids are born. Mm-hmm. And during this time... Vicky has now transitioned to a more stay-at-home, like, domestic role. She doesn't work at Sears anymore. And she is even more absorbed in this search for, um, you know, truth and comfort in their religious beliefs. Uh, She essentially uh, believes and starts to act on the apocalypse is imminent on earth and those who are good christians will be visited by jesus and taken to the promised land all right yeah we're starting to we're starting to get progressively less metal so where this is the (laughs) (laughs) yes there all right yeah 
Turn it into to some. Well, I mean, you know, soft rock. What, no, I mean, if you think about it, this is actually getting as metal as it gets. Okay. I mean, the apocalypse and shit. Is she well, going to pick up a battle axe? Sure. Where are we going with this? <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Where are we go. Yeah, right I now? guess. I guess. Depends on path. how you how you look at it. Yeah. Um. So. But yeah, I mean, if you think the apocalypse is coming, you're preparing yourself. And your children, I guess. And your newborn children. So they have two kids now, Sarah and Samuel. Sarah is the oldest, and Samuel um, is just two years younger than her. Okay. Vicky, in her quest for the truth, she has sort of an an arsenal of literature that backs up these beliefs and that she uh, essentially, like, if Vicki Weaver had a book club, these would be first books to be read by the group. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Number one, the King James Bible. Mm -hmm. The, a book titled The Late Great Planet Earth, in which the author applies Old Testament interpretations to current events. Really just like, you know, his pretty literal interpretations of Old Testament passages, which Vicky shares and applies them to um, rock and roll. And like the, mm-hmm. again, sort of start of, uh, I think the like proverbial death of Christianity and and like shift away from that in American culture and that kind of thing. Yeah. So she believes based on oh sorry the the later books include Atlas Atlas Shrugged okay. a favorite by Ayn Rand mm-hmm. and Satan's Angels Exposed which both <laughs> That's a good title. <laughs> yeah, fuck it. Yeah. Um, which basically heighten hers and Randy's skepticism of the federal government and all government and just any government involvement in anything. Um, mm-hmm. Satan's Angels Exposed is is super interesting. It seems just like a a full on conspiracy theory which um this is a quote from uh an author who wrote a nonfiction, you know historical account of the siege at ruby ridge after the fact named mm-hmm. jess walters mm-hmm. he says of satan's angels exposed that george washington to gandhi are doing the work of of the devil and like involved in a whole uh, government-based conspiracy since the beginning of, of... Like everyone from George Washington to Gandhi, you're saying? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Interesting theory. Would read. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, by 1980, the Weavers have clear intentions to leave Iowa for remote Idaho to pursue their vibrant visions of the future. Okay. 
going to say it doesn't sound like an upgrade, but I, I, what do I know? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, not to be insensitive, but what's the difference between Idaho and <laughs> Iowa? <laughs> I wouldn't know, certainly. I don't know. It's Maybe one mountains. Of the, it's one of the many things I don't know. Yeah. Mountains for planes. Yeah, I would prefer mountains. Yeah. So, yeah, sure. So. We figured it out. And their visions for the future consisted mainly of moving to a mountaintop, away from the government control, persecutors of Christianity, and other unclean society. Sarah Weaver recalls, while they were still in Iowa, one day there was just no TV in their home anymore. So they're purging from outside sources and things that may preach something different than that lamestream media. What they believe. Yeah, I see where we're going with this. They're also gun collectors. They ultimately are found to have, after the incident, they're found to have 14 guns, including two BB guns, and 200,000 rounds of ammunition. All right, so that's a good clip of ammunition, so but like 14 guns, I mean, that's not crazy. Yeah. I've heard of bigger collections. Than sure. That, you know, yeah, I mean. definitely. Well, I think it's, the Weavers also, I mean, they are, they're not living large mm-hmm. by any stretch. They are modest peoples. They have you know, decent jobs. I think Brandy's job at the John Deere trailer factory pays well. Mm-hmm. Um, it does become the only source of income for them once they have kids. And right, because Vicky transitions to kind of staying at home, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then once they move to Idaho, uh, I don't know what he does for food or for money. I don't know what he does for money. Um so yeah maybe they just had some savings yeah i think i think they he might collect an army pension if he's honorably mm-hmm. discharged i don't know the details of that but yeah yep sure. be yeah. getting by somewhere or another yeah well they are definitely getting by yeah they're definitely getting by but there's no evidence that he holds a steady job right. once they move to idaho okay um which they do in 1983 okay. they have purchased uh, somewhere between 15 and 20 acres of boulder-strewn hilltop land. It's very secluded, uh, you know, cut off from main roads, dirt road access only, um, full of, of boulder croppings and tree croppings, and uh, no home of any sort on the land they're really bought land to basically build a homestead so from the ground up. yeah mm-hmm. um sounds pretty sweet yeah well they they do not have electricity running water or indoor plumbing yeah. at they don't any have a house yet well once oh, they build the point. house they oh, don't okay. have those things either okay they never do um they, I don't know, I think, not to say they don't need them, but they're not a priority, certainly, for them. I think that that is just part of the depth of their beliefs that stretches down to, like, no... It's superfluous, like, you just don't need it. Yeah, right, exactly. So, 
they're, they, yeah, it sounds like they're living exactly a very that. humble, yeah, uh, unglamorous, certainly, mm-hmm. existence. I mean, yeah. yeah. They do have a fresh water spring on their land. And so that that is certainly helpful. Um, but that's kind of, you know, I think something that is was a big part of why they purchased that yeah. that piece of land. Right. Um, but that's the extent of the amenities. And that of. is the yes. <laughs> yeah. Correct. All right. <laughs> um for geographical reference, they are about 50 miles south of the Canadian border. Okay. And so in Idaho, they're sort of in that like skinny top piece between right. Montana and Washington. Right. North of, uh, if you're familiar with the geography at all, um, or looking it up, north of Coeur okay. is where the their Ruby yeah. Ridge uh, area is Bonnie's Ferry is another, or maybe Bonner's Ferry. I can't read my handwriting. <laughs> um, <laughs> is uh, I think it was Bonnie's though. That's another geographical point that's brought up as far as where their compound is located in Idaho. Yes, they are also sixty miles north of an Aryan Nation compound. So that seems, I do believe, you know, there's, there's small cities and towns nearby, um, certainly small towns with like a market and and any, any of the essentials that they need are, are relatively close by to Ruby Ridge, but the Aryan Nation compound seems to be like the grouping of the most amount of people closest to them okay don't like that yeah not fantastic (laughs) um when there's not a lot to do and the only thing there is to do is to go to aryan nation family picnics Uh, from a social standpoint that's like the social outings the fact that there are aryan nation family picnics is pretty astounding i can't imagine what kind of event that is wow yeah okay me either (laughs) um so and and there is there is some speculation certainly to what the weaver's social life really looks like um they seem to mostly keep to themselves outside of at the, these occasional social gatherings with racists and uh, <laughs> super cash yeah and i mean they do sound casual. secluded though they they sound secluded up there on their boulder strewn hill you know i mean like most and, definitely and 60 miles away that is that's a fair distance yeah. i mean it's an, it's hour an hour away so yeah but i mean still don't like that they're Social circle is Nazis. Well, yeah. And and there are some reports that, like, they have a handful of friends and that they've also made enemies in the the short time that they've been at Ruby Ridge. So... Yeah, Nazis have enemies. Yeah, yes. Yeah. (laughs) True. Um, Mm -hmm. And according to the Famous Trials website... 
One neighbor told the county sheriff that Randy threatened to kill the then president, Ronald Reagan. And this event supposedly put Randy on the radar of federal officials. Yeah, and he was the only person who ever threatened to kill Ronald Reagan. So. Yeah, I mean, news travels fast, yes. apparently, From in the late. Yeah, seriously. I'm sick. Right. So, um, you know, there there are reports that federal officials. From from here through 1992, when this uh, Ruby Ridge stand Ruby Ridge standoff happens, that officials really overestimated Randy in his threat level. Like he was not as dangerous hmm. as federal officials believed him to be so him threatening to kill ronald reagan uh for whatever reason people at the top really were concerned about that and i think in in truth sort of like you're alluding to he had no intention me or means to kill ronald reagan like like he was mouthing off at a nazi barbecue give the guy a break so Um, but like I, I mean, as as we know, and are still upset that white supremacists and white nationalists are not considered a terrorist group. Um, they they should be considered a threat. So you know, there's two sides to this. Yeah. Uh, but I say again, Randy. So Randy and the Weaver family attended social gatherings at the Aryan Nation compound and found their views somewhat in line with their own. But the Weavers never were interested in joining the Aryan Nation nor living on the compound. Like, they were happy to have some friends who they could get together with, but they were not um invested in certainly the the violent work of the Mm. aryan brotherhood okay so at one of the aryan nation events that randy attends he meets a man named gus magasono the two become friendly and continue to speak a handful of times at later aryan gatherings it's not clear whether Magasono asks Weaver for illegal shotguns or if Weaver proposes this idea. But in 1989, Weaver sells two illegally sawed-off shotguns to Magasono. Here we go. Now, Weaver is hard up for cash at this point. He's trying to make a buck. Um, and he believes he's among friends. So. Albeit Nazi friends. Albeit Nazi friends. He believes he is among friends. Okay. Turns out, Magasono was actually Kevin Fadley, an informant for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. In 1990, Weaver is then told by ATF agents, so... A year later, 
Weaver is now told by ATF agents that they have evidence to charge and convict him of the arms offense. And they offer him a deal that involves him becoming an informant on the Aryan Nation group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how uh, Gus Magasono got the deal to become an informant. This is how they do it. They flip these guys. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he does seem to, like, have volunteered for this job, or he is an ATF agent who is tasked to go undercover. Okay. Um, because he he will come back later as what seems to me the role of someone who is sort of higher up on the chain. Um, hmm. But okay, didn't see that coming. Yeah, but I'm <laughs> I'm sure he there are plenty of of informants uh, that get turned in this exact way, um, afraid to go to jail, trying to make a deal. But Weaver declines this offer, telling the agents to go to hell. And shortly thereafter, a warrant for his arrest is issued. I don't like that he's a Nazi, but I kind of like this guy. (laughs) He does not get pushed around, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Weaver was arrested, coming out of his home one day. He's arrested at the end of his driveway basically and he's released with a trial set for february 1991 okay he was apparently sent a letter that the trial was set for march 20th instead of february 20th which is when the actual trial date is so he gets a letter saying it's march in 1991, it's, but it's actually February 91? Correct. Okay. So... How did that happen? He... Uh, there is, like, a date change as far as the trial dates. So, yeah, I mean, just that the... the there's a date change. He's supposed to be sent a letter. He is sent a letter about that date change, but the date is incorrectly listed so the date is supposed to be changed to february 20th and the letter says march 20th so Hmm. he as you would suspect as one might suspect does not show up for a court yeah he yeah he didn't think he had to correct yeah He, he didn't think he had to um not in february anyway yeah certainly not in february And for missing the trial, a second warrant is issued for his arrest. And it's not, I don't, I don't really know if it matters, but it's unclear if he ever intended to show up for trial that March or February. Right, whether, whether he knew the date or not. Whether he knew the date or not, he might not have been there. Seems like that kind of guy. Yeah. He, I think Come and get like, me, you fucks. Yeah, totally. Yeah. He's like, I can evade arrest. Mm-hmm. I'm sure of it. And Can't leave the driveway, I guess. Yeah, yep, just can't leave my house. But I think, you know, he welcomed the opportunity to not leave his house. Okay. So, 
Um, and that's what they do. That's what he does. The entire Weaver family stay on their homestead for the next 18 months. Wow. Shit. All right. During this time, the Weavers take in a young man named Carrot. Kept During this time... Carrot? <laughs> named Carrot? <laughs> Tell me about Carrot. Named Kevin Harris. All right. Not as cool. No. Carrot would be a great name. <laughs> a young man named Carrot. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Schneider is also mean. <laughs> um, so they take in a young man named Kevin Harris, and Vicky Weaver, not by Kevin Harris, by Randy, but Vicky Weaver becomes pregnant, and sure, yes, okay, <laughs> delivers a baby, all at home. During this 18 months stint. So, of course, she gets pregnant. In the at, no plumbing, no electricity house? In, in the, the shed. I, oh, in the shed. In the shed. Woof. All right. Yes. She sounds like a bad melon farmer. Mm-hmm. Yes. She did it. Um, I imagine no, no drugs. What do they call that? Anesthesia and whatever. Well, epidural. Uh, epidural, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but none of that. Oof. Um, wow. Yeah, it seems it like It is her fourth baby. They don't seem like, you know, they're drinking and drugging up on the hill and oh. stuff like that. It's her oh, fourth baby? So. so she had two babies in this house? Um, she, yeah, so, right when they moved to Idaho, they did have a third child. So before um, I'm they sorry. actually got to the house. Yeah, either before they got to the house or right the, after. For the land. Yeah, anyway. yeah, because that child, I think at this point, is about eight in 1992, and they moved to Ruby Ridge in 1983, which was nine years yeah. previous. So like 84, this I third so. child was yeah, born. Yeah, exactly. So, so mind you, Vicky Weaver's pregnant while probably while they're building the house. Randy and Vicky are building their house with a six-year-old and four-year-old in tow and then another one on the way. Jesus. And then they hole up in these these homes that they've built with their bare hands, their home and shed. Yeah. And Vicky has her fourth and final child in that shed. So, nice culmination of events there. Sure. Okay, so four kids now. Four kids now. And now, uh, so we're back at four children, three adults now in the house. Yep. With the addition of the Kevin Harris. Correct. Right. Yep. So, Kevin Harris lives there full time. Okay. Helps with the land and, and hunting game and... Gardening, washing dishes by hand, doing laundry by hand. Okay, so they're so they're like self-sustaining on this property. They don't need to leave for. They really don't need to leave. Stuff, I even think know. they left more often than not to sell some of their stuff. I would imagine. Interesting. Okay. Um. So. During this time. Randy and Vicky, and Kevin, are aware. 
that they're under government surveillance. Mm-hmm. So, not least of which is because they, Randy Weaver, threatened to kill President Reagan. Yeah, that was the first thing. That was the first thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but also that he's now a fugitive. Right. So, he, he's been in the news as a fugitive, as wanted, um, a few days before the standoff begins, Kevin and Sammy Weaver, who's the oldest son, the only son, he's 14 years old at this time. Right, Samuel. Yep. Samuel, yep. Samuel, Sammy, Weaver. Okay. They have taken down a couple surveillance cameras that they found in various trees along the property. Okay. Interesting. Now, it's not just suspicion. It's kind of they know. evidence. Yeah. yeah, they know it's happening. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been, they've been mailed letters. Vicky's written back to the U.S. Attorney for Idaho that they will not bow to the evil commandments of the government whether they live or die. So it is clear that they are willing to fight to the death before they surrender to the government at this point. Yeah, they I have I take from that. strong convictions, it sounds like. Yes. Vicky sounds like a badass. Yeah, Vicky, Vicky ain't scared. Yeah. Um, at least on paper. Okay. <laughs> I don't know anything about her demeanor outside of that. Oh, okay, I was like, it feels like we're gonna learn a lot later no. about. Yeah. I just don't know. Go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Never met her. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, seems like a strong woman, though. Yeah. Then, on August twenty first, nineteen ninety two, the Weaver's dog, a yellow lab named Stryker, darts into the woods. The men, Randy, Kevin, and Sammy, mm-hmm. follow him. I don't like this. It's the oldest daughter, Sarah, said she didn't think it was strange at the time, and yeah, believed going after a deer or something. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Until their hasty disappearance is followed by the cracking of gunshots. A shootout had ensued after Stryker, the dog, found a handful of camouflaged, well-armed U.S. Marshals hiding in the bushes. Oh my god. And they killed this fucking dog. According to the family and Harris, one of the Marshals shot the dog, to which Sammy cried out, You killed my dog, you son of a bitch! And opened fire. On where he believed the shot came from. Oh my god. It is unclear exactly what happened after that and for the next 11 days, frankly. Jesus. But Sammy Weaver and U.S. Marshal William Deegan become the first casualties of the standoff at Ruby Ridge. Oh my god, so they killed the dog and the kid? So 
and one they of kill the dog, is dead. Oh and they God. kill Sammy Weaver. And all hell has broken loose. And also, one of the U.S. Marshals Jesus. ends up dead. All right. In the blink of an eye, it sounds like. It sounds like this happened really yeah. quickly. Yeah. Wow. Oh, right. Yeah. So, um... I think it's important to note that no communication has been established on either side. So, the marshals don't know that they've killed one of the weavers. Okay. And the weavers don't know that they've killed one of the marshals. There's no, like... Yeah, it's just chaos. Crying out, like, you killed someone over here! Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, sure. yeah. it's basically, like, just quick standoff, yeah. ducking for cover, and I think essentially retreating, because there's still... As the marshals don't have, like, clear vision here right, sure. of what's happening. Yeah, they were just um, sneaking up, like... Yeah, yeah I think they're, they're probably just sitting in the bushes and, right. you know, kind of waiting for something to happen. Well, and it did. And it did. Yeah. Um, Randy has started to retreat back to the cabin. Mm -hmm. Kevin shows up moments later and reports that Sammy's dead to Vicky and Randy and... The other children. The other children. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Poor Vicky. In that moment. Yeah. And and Sarah, she is 16, and Sam is basically her best friend. I mean, it's just the two of them. Yeah, they don't leave. Helping they out, and friends. they do everything together, yeah. Oh, um, so, I mean, the and, and their only son. So, I mean, I could just only imagine how that yeah. feels for a father. Yeah. Um, and it feels like, too, the chaos isn't over. Like, it's not a calm moment where they can even, like, reflect yeah. and, yeah. you know, comfort each other in this moment. It's like, there still might be shooting. Like, we right. can't, you yeah. know, focus on this right now. We have to get to safety. It's fucking crazy. Exactly. You know, I think first thing, they all huddle into the house yeah. and are, like, regrouping a little bit. And Kevin runs up and is like, Sammy's dead. And they're like, Jesus, fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And just, yeah. I think, gearing up for whatever could be next, you know, yeah. any yeah. outcome. Mm -hmm. um, grieving as as best they can, having just While lost a baby. Or, yeah, well, just lost their child. And, yeah, loading guns, making sure they have enough food in the house, you know, kind of... Getting ready for a siege. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I think hate almost overcomes fear at this point based on their visceral dislike of the government. And now they feel the government just killed our baby. The government just killed our son. They don't know who it was, but they're sure it was... The government, exactly the umbrella of government. I yes. mean, it, which they were right, but I right. Mean, yeah, they, but yeah, just they to get right a away. concept of where their heads at too, for yeah. sure. But yeah. I mean, they did. They knew right away, which is you know, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The marshals, on the other hand, have 
have called into, you know, their, whoever they report to, Billy Deegan's been hit, mm-hmm. and immediately call for backup in yep. the form of oh, yeah. the Federal Bureau of Investigation. And the next morning, the FBI is on scene. Bring in the bureau. Yep. Um, an agent who was a sniper at that time and at Ruby Ridge, he claims that they were under what he called unusual orders, which were, if any adult male is spotted with a deadly weapon, lethal force can and should be employed. Should be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shoot to like, kill. Like, shoot to kill yeah. the men right. if they have a weapon. Don't fuck around. And, yeah, yeah don't fuck around. These people are armed Jesus. and dangerous and trained to kill you, FBI well, agents. They so. already have killed one. Yeah, so, yep, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, so, yeah. they're under the impression that these, these people are ruthless killers basically right yeah it's worth noting that the shoot to kill order was not approved by a an fbi director or anybody like higher up than just the agents who've been sort of employed on this event so they've been given a directive to shoot to kill but it is sort of a an on the fly decision which um, there's no there's no real clarity on if it was told to the FBI director or assistant director and they just like didn't make a decision in time or if it was neglected to sort of be passed up the chain. Yeah, it sounds like plausible deniability has been baked into this situation. For sure. So okay. Yeah. I see where we're um, going. A little this. bit of like, well, he said that I could shoot to kill, so. Yeah, who did? Well, that guy over there. Who yeah. told him? Oh, that guy over there. Who told you? <laughs> that guy over there. It's like they just decided they like came up with it themselves. Yeah. Um, okay. Meanwhile, Randy Weaver and Kevin Harris are outside gathering Sammy's body from where it lay oh my God. from the previous day's debauchery mm-hmm. and bringing him back up to the cabin and shed area where they lay his body in the shed I believe Sarah has a chance to just sort of see, at least see them bringing his body up and catch one last glimpse of her brother And so at, at this point, sorry, can they can they see like the FBI mobilizing? Like, can they see hundreds of agents like at the base of their ridge and shit? Like, they're still kind of unclear what's happening. There's, there's still no communication. There's still no communication established. Crazy, yeah. And yeah, it seems like that would be the first thing you do as like get the bullhorn out. Right. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know. And, and I think to that point, so an agent, one of the FBI agents recalls on that morning sort of 
set up as a sniper. He's watching the Weaver family, specifically Randy and Kevin, move around, heading down to Sammy's body. And he describes it as them dodging behind boulders and trees, you know, as they sort of make their way to whatever they're doing. He's unaware of what exactly they're doing. Trying not to get fucking shot. It yeah. sounds like. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. And that's that's where again this lack of communication, this this heightened paranoia on both sides where Randy and Kevin are just trying to retrieve the you know, fourteen year old child's body and the agents are like he just wasn't letting me shoot him. It these was guys weird. are are dodging, you know, and taking cover to attack us. And yeah. I mean, yeah, okay. I can see the, the there's yeah. It, it is not black and white. It's <laughs> certainly not black so and white. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sarah is outside when a shot rings out, and her father yells that he's been hit. As they're as they've they've just Sammy in the placed shed. Sam in the shed. Oh my god! Randy's like hit. standing right outside the shed. God Almighty! All and right. he gets hit. Here we go again. Kevin has started to head back to the to the cabin. I again, I'm speculating here, but Randy takes an extra couple minutes between him and his son to say goodbye, oh, and. Yeah. You that's know, when he's hit. That's when he's hit. Jeez. Essentially, while he's just leaving the shed Jesus. to head back. Mm-hmm. Vicky comes out. She's got the 10-month-old baby in her arms. Oh, my God. She's calling for everyone to get back inside, you know, calling out what happened to her husband and and just, you know, trying to scramble Sarah to get back inside. Yeah, yeah. Ra- you know, Randy and Kevin to hurry back inside and take cover. It's chaos again. Sarah's standing next to Vicky, her mom. Mm-hmm. When another loud explosion goes off, she feels the heat of a bullet right by her head. And her mother drops to the floor next to her. Oh my god. Vicky has been fatally shot. With the baby in her arms, falls to the floor. Oh my god. Yeah. And so there yeah. Yes. It's unbelievable. How are they gonna write that off? She didn't seem like an adult male with a deadly weapon. She was a woman holding up an infant. That's right. I'm sure they will, though. The FBI does write some shit off. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Allegedly, that same bullet also hit Kevin Harris in the leg. So it goes through Vicky's skull. Oh, my God. And comes out and hits, and hits Kevin, Kevin in the leg. It's like the magic bullet from the book depository. <laughs> Christ, what a mess! And and Kevin's like, uh, or no, Randy. I'm sorry, Randy is like still limping his way into the. How, where was he hit, Randy? He's hit in the shoulder. Okay, yeah, he's just. I'm sure. Still limping. Staggering yeah, himself back exactly. to the house and his. Fuck. 
fucking wife is killed. His wife is the, just killed. With the infant in with her the arms. With the infant in her arms. Right next to Sarah, who's the oldest Who child. And within a millisecond, you know, becomes sort of the only unharmed pseudo adult and she's 16 years old kevin's hit too kevin's hit randy's hit she's now she's now got it yeah vicky's dead sammy's dead she now has a eight to ten year old and an eight month old to look after your life has changed in a split second in a split second for the worse and and Sarah recalls little, saying the following days are just a blur. I'm sure. Um, they barely eat or sleep. Both Kevin and Randy are their injuries are fest festering. Ugh. Vicky's just laying there on the floor. Vicky's right? laying there dead on the floor. Her body's covered with a blanket, and Sarah's. This house does not smell great. No. And Sarah and and the her two sisters and Randy and Kevin really are are I think for the most part praying and feeling and sort praying and readying themselves for death. They don't see a way out of this. I mean, no one can go out and hunt. They and get food. Don't feel that they can leave their house because they'll be picked off one by one. Yeah. Now that the family's barricaded in the house and no one's coming out, mm-hmm. officials recognize this and begin negotiations. <laughs> They get on the bullhorn, and and this is heartbreaking. They call specifically for Vicky to come out to discuss. They see Vicky is not a threat in that she's a woman. Why'd you shoot her in the face? Then? But she's dead, yeah. and they're not. They're yeah, Vicky, unaware. She can't come to the phone right now. Just a little busy. Fuck's sake. Sarah rightfully states that it adds insult to injury. Absolutely. Yeah. Journalists begin to arrive, and with the journalists come white nationalist protesters. Nope. So we call back to nope. Here we go. their social beliefs. But more than their political beliefs, and more than anything, what this moment stands for to onlookers, more than what it stands for to the family. This is just a family who is trying to live peacefully, generally speaking. And without government influence. And they're under siege. And they're under siege. But white nationalists see this and say, these people are sticking it to the man. Yeah. And these people are heroes. 
And so they show up in solidarity. Somewhere like somewhere between Nazi in the in the Venn diagram of Nazi and the Weavers, that middle part that they agree on is fuck the government. Correct. More or less. Yeah, yeah. that is definitely the main the main part that they agree on. Okay. The journalists report an FBI statement that they will not leave until Randy Weaver and Kevin Harris are in custody. Right. And this statement seems or dead. Or dead. <laughs> yeah. Are in custody. Seems like they're or alive. dead. Yeah. And this seems really fueled by the death of Billy mm-hmm. Deegan, the US Marshal. That's personal. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So um you know, there are news tapes of these white nationalist protesters shouting in the faces of in the faces of FBI agents, swarming armored vehicles, screaming baby killer, murderer, and traitor over and over again. Mm-hmm. Signs that say, you know, are we next? Am I next? Um, and Heightening fear, which yeah. is oh, the white nationalist handbook. There is a... A super poignant image of brief clip of two white men holding a large canvas that reads whites must arm Aryan Revolution American Front Portland Oregon Wow so just coming up from Portland all the way to bumfuck Iowa Idaho Idaho. Idaho. Jesus. Not as far. Yeah, sure. But, yeah, just exactly. To give you an idea of the the scope, the people from the Pacific Northwest, from Montana, from, you know, I imagine Nevada are coming up this way. Uh, Probably the Dakotas are right close there, too. So because it, it lasted... 11, 11 days, days. It, gives a, it gives it a chance to be this rallying cry for different causes. Exactly. They can attach whatever they want to it, even though this family is actually just, you know, stuck in their house with their family dead around them. Exactly. Jesus. The informant from before, Kem- Kenneth Fadley, led negotiation attempts. <laughs> So he's out there trying to appeal to the Weavers. Yeah, Vicky, you know, I imagine he's trying Randy. My old friend. Yeah. It's like, yeah, bro, I don't really come want to talk. Out. I don't really want to talk to you. Yeah. You fuck? Oh my god. And they just fucked this up from the very beginning, huh? The government. Oh yeah. Yeah. The FBI and yeah. Whatever other bureaus were involved in their apprehension. I mean, they just fucked this up yeah. from the start. And, and this continues for, for nine days. So the, the deaths take place in the first two days. Yeah. And then for nine more days, the family just sits in their home and... With rotting bodies. With rotting bodies and festering, and festering wounds. get filled wounds or whatever. And, and a 10-month-old baby. And... No food. 
No food. Make sure they're not going to the spring for water often. No indoor plumbing. Yeah. Oh my god. The smells. Enter Bo Grites. On probably the 10th or even morning of the 11th day. Bo I imagine Bo Grites shows up on the 10th day. And then... And on the 10th day, God made Bo Grites. <laughs> what? Bo Grites is... This is 1992. Bo Grites is a candidate for president running on a populist party ticket. He's active in white nationalist groups. Don't like that. And those are his primary supporters. Okay. So he sees what's happening in yeah. Idaho. So he's one of the rallying. In a clear PR move, he Jesus. says, I'm going to go there. Yeah. I could get votes from that. And uh, his slogan at one point in his in his political career is God, guns, and grites. G-R-I-T-Z. Oh, that's grits. Oh, that's Bo Grits. God, guns, and grits. And as long as they're white. As long as they're white? As long as they're white guns. I don't <laughs> like the black ones. Fuck this guy, though. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I know that people have said that. <laughs> I don't, I haven't heard it myself, but I know that that has been said. <laughs> God, guns, and grace? No, uh, yes. <laughs> no, uh, yes, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> We're going in yes. a dark place with this. Exactly. Moving on. So Bo Grites shows up. Bo Grits, if I may. That's a that's a Grits. G R I T Z. It really is like you it's can't. It's Bo Grits. When, Where's this guy from? Uh, North Carolina. Oh, really. it's Grits. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's Bo Grits. Um. Yeah. No, yeah okay. I could be wrong about that, but I believe it's from guy North Carolina up and too. Down. Yeah, what a clown. And he. Yeah, so he takes yeah. this up as an opportunity for marketing. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's a well, PR move, as you said. Yeah, exactly. And when I heard the name Bo Grites in one of these documentaries, I wrote it down. And then when I went to search him, it was obviously not spelled the way I thought it was going to be. And so when I saw it, I was like, well, that's not Grites. It's Grits. It's (laughs) the same thing. It's Bo fucking Grits. Um, Was this guy trying to pull? What a clown. All right. And... So he shows up. He shows up. He... The FBI doesn't want him to negotiate. He's they're not like we got this. Yeah, you know, he shows up. He's like, let me talk to them. I can appeal to their (laughs) sensibilities, and the FBI is like, no, we don't think that's a good idea. But but the FBI doesn't know what the fuck they're doing either. They're not having any luck, certainly. And Bo writes tells later he tells the senate judiciary panel on in investigations into this he tells them that he wrote a citizen's arrest warrant of fbi officials 
in front of this crowd of hundreds of white nationalists. And this act is what convinces the FBI agents to let him negotiate. What? You, like, made them say uncle? Basically. He totally, like... What? You know, turned the crowd against them even more than they were. And... He effectively turned the crowd even more against the FBI agents, just really geared everyone up yeah, and incited exactly. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so that that convinced the FBI to allow him to negotiate all right, with all right. the give, Weavers. Give grits the bullhorn. Right. And and it's this is ultimately a successful move. Bogreitz is able to convince Wow the family to surrender and come down off the mountain. Randy, Kevin, Sarah, and the two young Weaver children yeah. come down off the mountain. They've all survived. Oh my God. Vicki and Sam. Have not. Have not. And this is like day 11? This is day 11. Jesus. Seems like this all could have gone very differently. Yeah. You know? Oof. Weaver and Harris are... They are taken to, you know, receive some medical attention. They both live through their injuries... And they are indicted on charges of murder for the death of Billy Deegan, the U.S. Marshal. I mean, you knew they were going to do that, but again, just talk about insult to injury. True. Like, yeah. God Which they they are only learning when they come down off the, off the mountain that they that someone on the other side is dead. So they come exactly, down off yeah, the mountain, they, they didn't even know that. sort of like. We didn't do anything wrong. Hear yes, this. Just shooting at us this whole and time. are still sort of like, mm, yeah. We didn't do anything wrong. And to be clear, it is it is Billy Deegan who's charged for like first degree murder, and I think Randy Weaver is uh given slightly different charges as not the one who pulled the trigger, but like an it's accessory. It's Kevin Harris who is charged for first degree murder. You yeah. said Did Billy I say Deacon. Billy Deegan? Okay. Kevin Harris Deacon. is charged for first degree murder in the death of Billy Correct. Deacon. Correct. Yes. Yeah, Sorry yeah. about that. No, I got you. I'm following. Um, and, and, and Randy has slightly downgraded charges, like maybe manslaughter or something. Yeah. Okay. And he's also serving, uh, or he's also facing charges for failing to appear in court. Still got that on him. Yeah. Yeah. Not going to let that go. Yeah. At this time as well, the daughters are living back in Iowa with Vicky's parents, their grandparents. And. Can you imagine? What a 
childhood. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So, I mean, in that, Sarah recalls is just, is a time of complex grieving where she's essentially the the caretaker for her two sisters, but also now 16, 17, uh, and then, you know, 18 years old readjusting to a social life that's not just her and her brother on the mountain. Being introduced to society for the first time. Yep. Jesus. Yeah, what a what a trip. Yeah. Just lost her mother and her best friend. Your dad's in prison for the murder of an FBI agent. Yeah. Or being held certainly. Yeah. Oh my god. Um but so they're acquitted. Yes. So they are acquitted. Um, Weaver does serve time for failing to appear in court, though. He did he do serves, that. He did do that. He serves a total of 16 months. But he... I don't know for sure if he served time earlier. Um, like back before 1991 when that court date happened or if they like count the time that he's basically spent in jail um yeah exactly but but counts the time that he spent in jail awaiting the murder charges Mm -hmm. as like part of his ultimate sentence there because once he's charged for um once he's found guilty for failing to appear in court, he's only in prison for like four or five months after yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, they definitely did assess time served, I yeah. would say. Weaver gets out by early 1994. Wow. And... And Kevin Harris serves no time at Kevin all. Kevin Harris serves no time. Yeah. And... Meanwhile, on Capitol Hill, investigations into the Ruby Ridge events continue. Mm -hmm. The Department of Justice writes up a report that's 542 pages into what was done, what was done wrong, and... Plenty. Plenty. Yeah. And a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing is held in 1995. And at that hearing, Bo Greitz testifies that he thinks the snipers had deliberately killed Vicky and only injured Randy in a plot to get him to surrender. And he, I mean, he's just full of conspiracy theories but I think he's really playing on the FBI did a lot wrong, which is true. But he sort of, he doesn't help the the storyline there. Like, he's making it out to be like, oh, the FBI is is a joke they don't do anything right yeah like they every decision they make is misguided well it sounds like he's not he's not even just saying it was like negligence it was intentional Mm -hmm. and now they're now that it's over they have the ability to throw up their hands and be like whoops but he's saying i don't know Mm -hmm. yeah you know he's all 
again, this guy's a moron. He's a little bit. Full of beans. But yeah. It's interesting he was allowed to testify in Congress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd love to look up that video. Randy also comes to Washington, D.C. to testify at this committee hearing. And shortly after, he does an interview on CNN's Larry King Live with Tom Brokaw. Oh, wow. Really? I'm Tom Brokaw. Good night. <laughs> Tom Brokaw. Do you know Tom Brokaw? No. Oh, wow. Tom Brokaw's like seen him fucking before. broadcasting legend. Yeah, no, mm. he's legendary status now. Yeah, he's I like, would probably recognize him yeah, if I saw him. White-haired, clean-shaven gentleman. Real, real unique in the broadcasting world. Mm. But no, Tom, yeah, Tom Brokaw's a OG. That's interesting. Well, sitting in for Larry King that night. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Hmm. Um, and Randy, he says on Larry King that he has hope that the government will correct their wrongs in the aftermath. And not only does he have hope, but he really makes the point that he hopes for the sake of America. Yep. That the government can recognize when they make a mistake. Mm-hmm. So... He also is pressed in this interview about his racist views and links to the Aryan Nation. Sorry, can you start over? What were you doing? I just looked up a picture of Bogritz. Mm-hmm. And he looks exactly how you would imagine him to look. Mm-hmm. He's like wearing his military uniform and hit the left side of his it's like covered sure. in, Absolutely in metals. Covered in metals. Yeah. And I'm I was deep into something that is apparently saying he awarded them to himself, which is just fucking oh, brilliant. Amazing. And it sounds like exactly something you would expect Bogritz to do. Did you but see then I it? also looked up a picture of Randy Weaver, and he's a very dare I say boring, innocuous looking gentleman. I expected him to have more more character. Mm. I but think he I don't looks know. He looks like Leland Palmer from Twin Peaks. Oh, he kind of does. That's a great pull, yeah. Ray Wise, yeah. He looks like Leland Palmer before he killed Laura, before white hair. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's a good pull, yeah. He, he totally does. Uh, did you find out where Bo Greitz is from? I didn't know. Okay, no worries. I, didn't look that up. I just saw his incredible jacket, and I was like, this guy looks <laughs> like the type of clown I thought he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, not surprised. In the Larry King interview, Randy is pressed on his racist views and links to the Aryan Nation. His sympathies. You know. To which he responds, every man of every race, man, woman, child, should be proud of who they are and what they are. Racist, to me, means loving your race. I've never joined the Aryan church. I haven't belonged to a church since I was 12 years old. I quit the NRA. 
I don't belong to anything. I'm not a joiner. That makes no sense. Like, it, it, well, I mean, he just immediately contradicts himself. He's like, every, every man, woman, and child should be proud. But if you're proud, that's what makes you a racist. Well, I think he thinks racist is a good term. I don't think he thinks racist yeah, it's like, is, is negative. Is everyone a racist then? He just thinks that like we're all racist and so no one can be racist. It's one of those logics. In the views of Randy Weaver, it is something like that. It is like, Sounds yeah. Sounds like Vicky was the thinker. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that that line in particular was really controversial for me and even if I wanted to bring it up because it just goes into it just goes to like a philosophical place that is is really difficult to navigate like you can love where you're from like you can love your heritage and culture but that's different than loving the color of your skin and you know it just goes to like this whole again more philosophical place but i think yeah i think it's like i mean really what it is isn't it sort of i mean loving who you are and your your heritage to the exclusion of all other heritages right i mean that's what it really gets to is like when you can be proud but also give everyone else their lane to right. be proud of themselves and, too without and, excluding them from that privilege you correct know I mean? it's just like and i do think that randy airs on that side where he doesn't share aryan views nazi views that non-white people are subhuman he does say at one point you know he's like pressed you served with black people and brown people and Jewish people. And he says, yeah, and I would fight for liberty alongside all people. But I yeah. think he, yeah. he is not interested in persecuting other peoples or races. Yeah. He, on some level. He's just like, leave me alone. Yeah, but he yeah he family. wants to be left alone. He feels that yeah. he has been subject to persecution as a Christian, and he does not necessarily feel that he wants to persecute others in response to that. He just simply feels that he's proud of who he is and doesn't want to associate people who are not like with people who are not like him. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the Weavers tried to peacefully remove themselves from the society that they didn't want to be a part of you know they tried to just be by themselves up on the mountain and hit the nazi barbecue every other weekend yep (laughs) (laughs) it's what they did nothing wrong with that well yikes yikes weaver acknowledges that the Oklahoma City bomber referenced him and the Ruby Ridge standoff as influences hmm. on hit on Timothy McVeigh. Is this the bomber? Okay. Yeah. 
I believe you. I don't know his name. I'm, you know, not interested in in giving him notoriety. Understand that, yeah. But um, that guy. That guy. And so. Weaver distances himself from those claims. He says, you know, he is not a martyr. He was not taking a stand for any real political movement or anyone he never published a but himself or anything. Yeah. Totally. And he really he still has some extremist views to this day, some radical view right wing views to this day, but he does not associate with a radical group, as as mentioned before. Not a joiner. Not a joiner. No. Since around this time, post Ruby Ridge and Oklahoma City bombing and even Waco, um, the FBI has overhauled how it treats arms, armed standoffs, including a change to the federal deadly force policy, which says that it cannot be modified on the fly, and more training on how to set up better communication at the scenes. Which is crucial. That communication point of like, especially when you can't see each other, like if there's an active shooter in a building or anything, you know, where the, the dangerous persons involved, which are the federal officials who are armed and the person inside or mm-hmm. persons inside who are armed mm-hmm. cannot see each other, they need to be able to tell each other what's going on and where they're at. Like or just try and figure it out, you know, before they start shooting at each other. Yeah. First things first. Like So well, it's um, interesting it's so fascinating because like that seems so obvious now, you know, twenty five yeah years later but it's interesting it's a more recent implication to or installation of that yeah policy most definitely i guess you 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 want to learn from your mistakes so yeah they've made a lot of mistakes yeah the weaver family also in 1995 which was the same year as the larry king interview and the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings the Weaver family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the federal government Mm -hmm. and they received a 3.1 million dollar payout wow okay again uh, it does insinuate that the government recognizes it was wrong. Yeah. On some level. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. And uh, Diane Feinstein... We'll pay you if you go away. Yeah. And stop talking about this. Yeah. Jesus. Exactly, yeah. Please stop talking about this. <laughs> Oof. We're almost done. Uh, Diane Feinstein... I'm still in. <laughs> But we're almost done. Yeah, okay. Diane Feinstein says at one point during the hearings, I think to Randy 
to to Randy Weaver when he's testifying mm-hmm. that like he is not he is a victim but he is not in the right here like he is not necessarily innocent if you will but sort of the chorus of this episode it feels like there's no it's a lot of gray area here yeah. on on both sides of the issue yeah and it's, yeah i would say that's an astute observation by miss feinstein towards the end of the cnn interview randy's asked about what he hopes for his future mm-hmm. and he says my daughters and i want to go back west maybe have a little small remote ranch raise horse have cats and dogs and chickens again and live peaceful as we can enjoying the elk and the bear and the deer and nature don't we all and that's exactly what it seems they did um randy still occasionally does interviews and Sarah Weaver, his oldest daughter, also does some interviews. God, is she okay? I mean, God almighty, 16 years old when all this is happening yeah. around you, your mother is shot right next to you. Is she okay? She battled with depression for a long time. She's open about this and her sort of ju- sort of journey to forgiveness and to a a more um i think loose and healing form of christianity than her parents practiced Mm, yeah and uh she and her her dad randy and two sisters they all live in montana now they all have some land they don't live like on the same compound right, or anything. Like together they they live together? No. No. Okay. No. They don't live together, but they don't live far from each other and they get together pretty regularly okay. and they they live off you know the land in Montana. They they're not um secluded as they once were. I think there's there's more of a, a social life and um all the daughters, all the Weaver women are are really, I think, trying to move past this and and try to live their their best lives after Ruby Ridge. Or, yeah, I don't blame them. Wow. Yeah. One really interesting thing that I wanted to to mention, um, that I I cannot wait to watch, and I've been holding this back. So, the in 1996, a TV movie slash miniseries okay. was made. What do we got? Called the Siege at Ruby Ridge, uh-huh. starring Randy Quaid. All right. Laura Dern. Say less. Say no more. And Kirsten Dunst. Wow. As the three pivotal fi- figures. 
Wow, what a cat Jim turned. I mean, he genuflect at the altar. <laughs> wow, I gotta see this. Yeah. Oh my god. Do you know who directed it? Like, what the t- the team behind it? No. Nope. Oh man. No idea. No, I'm I'm in already. But hell yeah. yeah. Oh hell yeah! I bet that's good. And there's a I just watched like a super short clip, but it's pretty iconic. I think of the film where. Kirsten Dunst, who plays Sarah Weaver, mm-hmm. um, is coming off the hilltop with her father and sees all of the the armored vehicles and like the military camp that's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. been set up at the base of their home, mm-hmm. and it's just like all this for one family. And I gotta fucking see this. And, um, yeah. So I, I bet that's that's decent. Probably, uh, I'm sure, very sad. And I think very long. It's like a three-part series oh film. God, yeah. I don't, don't want to watch Laura Dern get shot in the face. Well, then maybe but we won't check it out. But I'll skip over that part. Yeah. You can, you, you can cover my eyes. Okay. <laughs> Um, but I'd be so interested to see how those characters are portray- portrayed in a Hollywood film yeah, shortly no, after these events. And it's interesting because this event, we've been saying it's not black and white. There's so much gray area. That is not Hollywood's bag, maybe. Yeah. Okay. It is, they are black and they are white. It is one way or the other, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, it's, it would be interesting to see how they negotiate who yeah. the heroes of this story yeah. are. Yeah. I can guess, but... Yeah, me too. It's not not the people I would pick, yeah. but... Well, I I don't know if there's a... that's pe- the thing, there's there, there no aren't really heroes. To pick. Yeah, like, yeah, there's, there's no people no hero to pick. There's story. no hero. Neither side is right. Yeah, um, it's a very muddled issue. Both sides are wrong, and I just... I. I guess to wrap things up and and sort of surmise the two sides here, if we can just go back to day one, where there are two distinct stories. Exactly. The inciting moment. Yeah. There are two distinct stories of the inciting moment, which are... According to the family, their dog, Stryker, finds the marshals. The marshals are upset and shoot and kill the dog. Sammy, the 14-year-old boy, opens fire on the bushes, Mm -hmm. and the marshals fire back, killing Sam. And the marshals say they spot... Sammy, Randy, and Kevin on the trails, they call out and identify themselves and call out a surrender order. Mm-hmm. And then Kevin Harris takes cover and shoots and kills Billy Deegan. So two clearly different views of how day one goes down. Totally. Neither one probably entirely accurate yeah 
I mean, I I feel like one of those stories sounds more reasonable than the other, but it's just if the FBI's interpretation of events was correct and Kevin Harris ducked behind a tree and shot Billy Deegan, why was he not convicted of his right. murder then? Exactly. What are you talking about? Yeah. And I think it's just not it's just not plausible to me because FBI agents and ATF agents admit that they believed Randy and Kevin to be, but more more specifically Randy, to be more dangerous than he actually was. Yeah, they overestimated Like, they totally, you know, I think the marshals are hiding, anticipating a shootout, and... I I don't know that I'd go far go so far as to say that Randy Weaver is more reasonable than that, but I I think that it sort of is is goes back to a discussion that we have especially lately about police culture and law enforcement culture which is just also paranoia and high alert and that anyone who has a gun is trying to kill you. There's not enough training in de-escalation, it seems to me. Yeah. Um, And I think, too, it's really important to point out that at this time, the marshals are encroaching on the Weaver's compound and space. They're surveilling them. They're spying on them. And the Weavers aren't hurting anybody at this time. They have made poor decisions. They have concerning political viewpoints and beliefs. But the FBI is not doing this to my knowledge at this time, on the Aryan compound. Yeah. Which has a lot more guns. Yeah. It doesn't seem like the Weavers are radicalized or anything. The Weavers are not trying to hurt anybody. themselves, yeah. Randy Weaver is is a fugitive for selling sawed-off shotguns to the Aryan Brotherhood. Right. But... Not even though they... Actually, to to a spy, to an informant... And, again, going back to this sort of conspiracy that Randy is highly dangerous, is a highly dangerous individual, there's definitely theories that Randy was set up. And, like, from the get-go, like, he was set up to make this illegal sale to an informant to get him to flop, you know, to to get him to become a spy because he was so dangerous they needed to have him, like, under the government's thumb. And that's not true. It's not true, and just then when he didn't, it's a weird fight for the federal government to pick is going after Randy Weaver and his family on top of this little... Ridge and Idaho. Yeah. I just, I don't know. It seems they sort of made a mountain out of a molehill. I don't know. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. I don't know. Yeah. So, that is the standoff and murders at Ruby Ridge. Oof. Wowie. Holy cow. A lot to unpack there. So much. So much going on. Um, So much gray area to navigate and negotiate. And so... I like you said two clear sides to what everyone thinks happened like just right yes so there are three sides to every story your side my side and the truth of what actually happened exactly and I I hope I did I think I did both sides justice in this telling Um, I really believe that there was no there was no right side here there is no good or evil side yeah. in this story yeah I um, think that's true but Ruby Ridge is viewed by quite a few quite a lot of of people from all different groups and political uh, viewpoints as essentially the first battle between the radical right and the federal go- government of the 21st century and it's still used in debates and discussions about gun safety and gun rights and gun laws to this day and I think we can certainly see echoes of these issues and these people in our political landscape today yeah, the the ripple effect from this event has been substantial. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm, I am surprised that it's it's only in 1995 that these negotiation techniques were sort of really implemented. That's it seems so recent. Yeah, what the the speed of of how technology changes has changed. Even leading up to then and since then, mm-hmm. I I always have to consider that when I think about especially police changes and investigation changes, communication changes, because the FBI, I think, is more often than not a little bit ahead, well, ahead of the curve compared to local police. I would think so, yeah. More resources. Yeah. And so these changes in 1995, I mean, how slow is the trickle down of making these changes at the local level as far as dealing with armed standoffs and negotiations? I just don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, I would would venture to say it probably isn't. They just, if they have a situation like this, they just call the FBI. Yeah. Those are the guys that handle it, but... Yeah. So, what what are your what are your takeaways? What do you well, think? There's a lot to think about. So many moving parts to this story. I mean, of course, first thing we always have to give our hearts out to the victims of this story who actually, you know, were killed. Yeah. Nikki, Sammy, and Billy Deegan, the U.S. Marshal. 
it's always senseless when life is taken for no reason and it really feels like in this instance it was for no reason kind of yeah i, I just I, I can't believe that it got so out of control so quickly and then they were all just kind of sitting there for nine days nothing happened and it seems I don't know it's it, there was such immediate horror and then kind of nothing for nine days until fucking Bo Gritz showed up for some reason yeah. like yeah just a the, wild fucking a wild ride the anti-government politician strikes again <laughs> yep Wild ride, and I think the, I say again, the lesson, the takeaway for me is is that a gentleman named Mark Potok from the Southern Poverty Law Center sums it up pretty succinctly, sums up my takeaway, which is whatever views or illegal activities one is doing or one is involved with people should not be shot down by government snipers if they are not actively threatening the lives of someone else you would hope so that that i think is it for me like a a government sniper hiding in the trees while you're just living your life, no matter what you're wanted for, is not the way. Yeah, I mean, I just think this is such an interesting story because the Weepers were ultimately justified in their suspicion of the government and everything, you know? I mean, they did have... They were just that justified. It's, It's a really... A lot of twists and turns on this road. Yeah. Lordy. Yep, definitely. I think, yeah, you really hit it there. The the Weavers were right to be distrustful of the government. And that's sort of my takeaway. The Weavers were right to be distrustful of the government, but the government didn't really have to worry about the Weavers, it seems like. Yeah. So I don't know why they made such a mess out of it and killed the dog. Have all been avoided if you just weren't sitting there on the property. I don't know. No, yep. that is the worst. When when they kill the dog. I fucking hate it. We do it all the time in movies. The, I only, the only the only reason in movies that. that a dog is ever on the fucking screen is so it dies later. It is. I hate that. I hate it. Sorry to sorry to sort of leave it on a on a bummer story. Um, or on a bummer note, but that is that is what we chose. That is what I chose this week, and um, it was a big one. But I think we got it in one. I think, I think we could do it in a oneer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a story. Yeah. What are you doing next week? Uh, you know, I know, but I I feel like we're sort of playing this game where we're not telling. That's none of your business. The, All right, we'll see how long that lasts. It's the Canadian BTK. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You did mention that at some point. That's all I'll say. Okay. He's not really known as that yet, but that's exactly what he is. Gross. Stay tuned. I will.
You fine. <laughs> I'm talking to you. I'll be here. You're gonna be here. I can't do it by myself. Hear y'all next week. See you next week. Bye. Hey y'all. Thanks for listening to the Nicola Nobo podcast. If you want to get in touch, email us at nicolanobo at gmail.com. That's N-I-C-K-E-L-A-N-D-O-B-O-E at gmail.com. Follow Nikki at Pumped Up N-I-K. That's Pumped Up Nick on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow Owen at Owen is the cat on Twitter. Tune in next week for more cat sounds. Bye. Bye. Bye.